All right, well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Wells Branch Community Church. I'm so glad that all of you are here, and if you're watching online, I'm so glad you are here as well. We are in the middle of a capital campaign series, which everyone gets thrilled about when it's your first time to church, and you're like, and we're going to be giving money, yay! And everyone's like, oh. Oh, I came on the wrong week. When did you guys tell me when this thing's over? No, no, this is an exciting time. And I'm so glad that all of you are here for our Revive the Stones uh, capital campaign. And if you have any questions, one of the things we love to do here, uh, whether it's about whatever the situation, we will get back to you on them. But Pastor Plex podcast comes out usually every Tuesday, and I would love for you to uh, hit us up. We just surpassed 2,000 downloads, so we are now officially in the thousands, okay? We went from tens of listeners to at least thousands of downloads. I don't know how actually listeners that is. Maybe a lot of you downloaded a bunch of times for me. If you did, thank you. (laughs) All right, so uh, when we talk about capital campaign, we're talking about risk. And um, let me explain to you the risk that I just undertook yesterday, okay? I've been in a battle recently with hornets. And they have have won the past several. Uh, I got stung six six times in my face a couple weeks ago. Uh, last week out at the prayer uh, gathering on the land, I, I got stung twice in my calf, and my, my foot, my whole, my foot, like, couldn't wear shoes. It was like I had to elevate it or do something like that, and it was like fat foot everywhere I went. It was a brutal moment. And so yesterday, Adrian comes in, and she's like, there's hornets everywhere, everywhere. And I'm like, it's time. Where did you see the hornets? And she's like, they're up there. And I look outside, and there's like a hundred, I mean, they have, they've got like the honeycomb nest thing, and there's like a hundred hornets like just hanging out. And I'm like, it's on. And so I went inside, and I went into our costume uh, regalia, and I pulled out sweatshirts, and I had my old army, like uh, the thing that I wear in my tank as I was going through the dust storm, and it, you know, I was like, okay, I got that. Then I got a, a bandana, put it over my face, and then I was like... I put on a sweatshirt, jeans, boots, leather gloves. Okay, now, and then I I got a a ladder, and then uh, I headed out for the battle. Now, the problem with this ladder, it wasn't tall enough, so I had to go get another ladder. It was like the 40-foot ladder because it was at the very top of the house, and I was not going to let these things defeat me. I was going to get right up in their face, and and this is the part where Adrian stopped taking pictures. And then uh, I went up, and then I got right at the... You know, it's like it was a moment of no return. Once I spray this, it's going to cause a fury. And so there I was. I'm like, and they're like, and I didn't get stung once. And you're thinking the story's over, but no. I go outside, and Adrian's like, there's still more hornets. And we go, and do you guys remember the cat house that Adrian built? What a great cat house that no cats live in. But there's a hornet nest this big on the bottom of them. I mean, oh, my gosh. And so, uh, so I used the full can of Hot Shot on, <laughs> on the ladder, so completely empty. And so I had this, like, one of those little squirty things. So I take the little squirty thing, and I get underneath. I'm, like, you know, very vulnerable position. And it takes about 1,000. Uh, and the, 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 the hornets are going all over the place. And eventually I take my leather glove. I grab, mm, grab the hornet's nest, crush it. And then I stomp it under my feet for the victory. And listen, it was, there was great. Thank you for all the clapping. I appreciate that. Uh, but there was great risk involved up until the point I had covering. Up until the point I had 
protection. And I know, I know, when we talk about capital campaign, campaign and giving, it feels like um, we are exposed, right? Uh, there is great risk involved, and um, I think you see where I'm getting here. But if we have the Lord, he said he's going to be our provider. Listen, where's my anxiety, people? Where are you at? Come on. All right, yeah, yeah you, guys, you guys are just, I love how you out yourself. It's great. Uh, listen, he is going to provide for you. He is going to take care of you. Uh, all it takes is for you to trust him. And what happens most of the time, don't we spend most of our time worrying about stuff that never actually happens? Okay. And so when it comes to risk, when it comes to risk, I think what happens, we don't faithfully risk for God's kingdom when we fear, well, death. Because that's usually what all it's about, right? Like, if I were to give too much, then, you know, we would probably not have enough food. We wouldn't be able to pay the mortgage or the rent. And then we would be out on the street. And then, and then, and then we would be dead. And so essentially is what you're saying is you fear death. And for Christians, I know this sounds weird, but that is like paradise. All right? I'm not asking everyone to be martyrs or, or anything like that, but I'm just saying that the reality is we have this abhorrent, weird fear of death when we should have this ultimate joy that nothing could frighten us. Okay? Uh, second is we fear defeat. We don't want to look dumb. We don't want, like, isn't it, or loss. Like if I give or if I risk for the kingdom, I might lose. And what you're saying is God won't come through. I'm not talking financially. I'm, I'm, I'm just talking, what you're saying is if you were to risk and, and say Jesus' name in a public place, there is a risk involved with that. And it might cause you to lose something uh, materially, financially, but you will gain something spiritually, and the Lord is going to use you. And so I, I feel like a lot of us, we go to this place of defeat. Or how about this? This might be where actually more reality is. Whenever you risk, it imposes upon comfort. And we are very risk-averse when it comes to our comfort. And we fear difficulty. Like, I just don't want it to be hard. And again, this is what's tough. When you don't live in Afghanistan, and the Taliban aren't knocking on your door, or you don't live in Iran, and the Ayatollah and his minions aren't knocking on your door, when you don't live in China, and they're not trying to uh, thwart any sort of freedom of religion, when, when you live here in America where things are pretty great, I mean, with all the th- hardship we've had over the past couple of years, it's still not as bad as it could be. And so the reality is, I think sometimes, because we have it so easy in comparison, we look at difficulty and we're like, I can't do difficult. I've never done difficult. I once heard about people who did difficult, but that's just not me. And so I want us to um, rise up. I want us to be people who do hard things who take great risks, not because we're stupid or foolish, but because we believe in the God who is, who calls us to do great things for him. And so um, I'm going to unabashedly call you to risk when it comes to the, uh, to the kingdom of God, to forward his presence here on this planet as we look to build a facility as an embassy for God's people to go and reach and love. Okay, that's where we're going. Uh, we are, we've been in uh, Nehemiah, and uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm not reverting back to my 80s self uh, with being an 80s rap star, but rather this uh, stopwatch is for uh, hours of prayer that we kind of ask everybody to be on a journey on with us. And so I'm, I'm at right about nine hours right now. So I'm pretty excited about nine hours of prayer this week. It's been awesome praying for that. So if you're wondering, again, for those of you wondering, why is he wearing a stopwatch right next? Is he ready to clock somebody? Is that his thing for the sermon? No, I actually don't worry about the sermon. I just preach as long as I want. I'm just kidding. I don't do that. 
There's a timer back there that I'm very, I'm on that. All right. We're going to uh, be praying, and we're going to ask God to open up his word for us that we might be able to speak the truth of God powerfully. Let's pray. Father, I'm praying that you would open up your word for us, and we'd be able to um, lean into who you are, that you're a provider. You're looking to advance your kingdom, and you are looking to use us to activate our faith by trusting in you to do God-sized things not things that we can do in our own strength, because then we get a lot of glory from that. Look what I did. So God, as you challenge us to do a God-sized thing, would you allow us to see who you are and who your, what your glory represents for your glory and our good? In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said. All right, Nehemiah chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one around you in your vicinity. Uh, otherwise, open up your device and go to Nehemiah chapter 2. We're going to look at verse 1. Here we go. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1, in the month of Nisan, okay? Nisan is about Easter time frame. So last week we talked about how Nehemiah got word in the month of Kislev. Let's call that Thanksgiving to Christmas uh, time frame. And then around Easter time frame, he, hear, or he is before the king. So about four and a half months had passed. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, because we know he's the cupbearer to the king, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, look at this. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. For four and a half months, it's not like the guy hasn't had wine in a while. It's not like he hasn't needed his chief of staff, because cupbearer was like your most trusted guy, who's also the guy you want running your kingdom. And so the chief of staff brings them the wine, and this time he allows his face to reflect his heart. Anybody do the fake it till you make it thing? Who's ever done that? And at work, it's very helpful because nobody wants to see your whining face, right? But at some point, you can't fake it till you make it. And here's, it's been four and a half months of praying. And for some, for some reason, he's like, this is the day. And this is going to be scary. Watch this. And the king said to me, why is your face sad seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. Why is he afraid? Remember, this is a generation, one generation removed from Esther. So Esther's probably living uh, probably kind of, you know, she's at the old folks' home in the Queen Palace, and she's there, right? And so she's hanging out. And so remember, the big thing for her was that Mordecai said, it might be the very, for such a time as this that you go risk your life to save the Jewish people. So here he is. He's sad in front of the king. You don't be sad in front of the king because the king doesn't do sad people who aren't sad about the things he's sad about. Remember, that, that sends you down to HR where Bob with the axe takes care of you. And so he was very much afraid. And what does he do when he's very much afraid? He goes into what I do, flattery. I said to the king, let the king live forever. <laughs> Why should my face not be sad? Now, this is the part where he gets really real. Why should I, my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins? And its gates have been destroyed by fire. Then the king said to me, I love this. He get, I love kings or leaders who are bottom line up front. What are you asking for? Right? Um, oh, shoot. Yeah. What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven, which I love this. He, he takes a moment to pray. He prays to the God of heaven. You guys ever done a breath prayer and asked something very crazy? You know, maybe it's with your spouse usually when this happens. Like, dear God, help me. All right, so here's what I want to... Or maybe you've done this with the boss, or you got the deal, or whatever. You're like, oh, man, please help me. All right, here's where he's at. So I pray, God, help me. And then he asked the king, and I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you might send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, 
And I thought this was interesting, the queen sitting beside him. Some say it's Queen Esther, but that'd be weird because at this point she's a little older. Uh, but the, the point is that I think the queen's sitting beside him showing that the queen has influence and the queen has influence for the Jews in the past with Esther and the king. How long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass and through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's force. I'm going to pause here. He has got a really detailed plan. He has bathed this in prayer for four and a half months. But he didn't come to the king and go, like, I don't know. Do you, how many of you guys, uh, if you're a leader and someone brings you a problem without a solution, that nothing in, this is, that's when Bob the, at HR says, well, we'll take care of that problem right over here. I just need you to sign a few things, put your head right here, and we'll, and we'll take care of that. But he doesn't come with a problem. He comes with a, he doesn't come with a problem. He comes with a, please be people of solution, not people of problem. That's for free. Okay, come back. All right, so that he may give me timber to make uh, beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and the wall of the city, which is pretty reasonable, right? You need that kind of, like, hey, I need, you know, I need um, old Asaph over there. I know you own all the forest from here to uh, Jerusalem, so I need, you know, a couple hundred thousand trees. And uh, I need something for the wall of the city. It's a couple miles around circumference, so we'll have to knock that out. And then I love this. This, this, this is where you got to know that Nehemiah has got some serious favor with the king. Check out what he asks. I mean, he asks for some very practical stuff. You know, wood for the, the temple and the gates and wood for the wall. That makes sense. And for the house that I shall occupy. Listen, as long as we're building something for everybody else, I need a little something on the end. Okay, so I'll take my house too. Thank you very much. And the king granted me what I asked. For the good hand of my God was upon me. Now, listen, this is where he's been praying. And God, watch this, and I, I keep saying this, God activates his will through the prayers of his saints. That's why anxious people, good news. Your prayers, because you need to do a lot of praying, because right, remember, not only does it result in the peace of God that surpasses all understanding, but it also results in God activating his will through. So if you're an anxious person, that's a gift. You should say, oh, thank you, God. I didn't realize that was a gift. You just need to spend a lot more time in prayer, like maybe two or three hours a day. That might get the anxiety to go, but then also you need to be thinking big vision. Why is God calling me to pray that long? God, I must have something really big for you. All right, so here's what I wanted you to see. But God, watch this, God rewarded Nehemiah's risk because it wasn't just praying about it. He did something about it. He went and he risked his own life and God rewarded him with the, 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 what he asked for, as well as a new house. I mean, think about that. It, it, there was a personal, like, advantage to this for this guy. Now, th- listen, this is not that church that says, like, you give, you're going to get a brand new house or a brand new car. That, that's not this church. But the reality is, look, God does reward faithful risk. Now, I wanted to do something uh, this morning that was kind of unique, uh, hence why I've got two chairs over here. Can I have Grayson and Megan DeZale? Come on down! This is going to be kind of fun. Uh, I asked them, uh, yeah, you can cl- thank you, Alex. Appreciate the clapping. All right, so uh, what, I, what I wanted was, was Grayson and Megan to come up here, because uh, as we've been talking about capital campaign stuff, um, there's a lot of people who have the story that, like, and then I gave, and then, 
Next thing you know, checks arrived in the mail. Woo! And so I kind of was looking for somebody who didn't have that story. And uh, that things were like not like uh, their, you know, God rewarded them like with checks in the mail or one winning the lottery or getting the raise at work or getting the, all the things. I, I wanted to find somebody that was willing to risk and willing to follow through even when it cost them. And it just so happens I work with the guy, so that was kind of fun. Uh, and so uh, Grayson and Megan, and I'm not sure who's going to answer this first. Oh, Megan, all right. Answers are better. Yeah, okay, here we go. Megan, here we go. Megan, tell me how God rewarded your risk of faith. Gosh, there's a lot. There really is a lot. Um, I guess I'll start by saying kind of how we approached the last capital campaign, yeah. which is we started by looking just at our budget and our general finances and looked at what was comfortable for us. Like, okay, we could, we could give this. And then we decided, okay, so what is uncomfortable? What's super challenging? What is something that we would have no idea where that money would come from? And let's, let's go there. And so right. we kind of, we came to that amount. We we're like, okay, this feels terrifying, which probably means that this is the right thing to <laughs> give. And so we did that. And that was also in the midst of us having debt that we wanted to pay off and being pregnant with our third child. Apparently we're always pregnant in the middle of a capital campaign. That's how you so do it. That is always really exciting. And so that felt incredibly risky in a lot of different ways. And that was, is really hard for somebody like me who is high control, um, and also an anxious person, too, but apparently there's blessing in that. So, um, <laughs> praise God. Uh, just jumping towards the end of the capital campaign, not only were we actually Sorry able to make our commitment, um, which was kind of a shock, and yes, no, we did not have, like, random money show up on our, our doorstep or in the mail like you apparently do sometimes, which, good for you. <laughs> Um. We, we were always really happy when anyone, like, during that 18 months was like, man, this was so cool that happened to us. We're like, yeah, good you go, man. You. That's awesome for you. Yeah. <laughs> God, it's so, so good. So all that to say, like, we had to actually pray, like, God, you need to give us opportunities for us to work to make money to make this happen. And that means extra worship gigs or it means more hours for me or, or whatever that looked like. More and more opportunities came up for us to make extra money to make that happen. And that is still a blessing, even if you have to work harder or ask God for opportunities to make that money. So that was one way which he showed up was that we were able to make our capital campaign commitment happen. But on top of that, within that same 18 month time frame, we were able to make enough money to pay off our debt or that we really wanted to, that we thought there was no chance that we'd be able to. And we were able to have a baby and, and figure out a way to pay for that baby. And so that was really un unexpected. Wow. That, that's exciting. So you took a risk, and then I guess God blessed you even more because you erased debt. And it's not just a financial gain. It was a personal gain. It was a marital gain, being able to dream bigger, risk bigger, give bigger than we ever thought that we could. And to do that together was, is really empowering for our marriage. And just me personally, overcoming my own just issues with finances and strongholds. That's awesome. Yeah, I think uh, as far as the other side of the reward, right, not even just financial, I think, um, I think God really taught us what sacrificial giving really looked like. I, th I think we thought that we were sacrificially giving. <laughs> you know, we, we, were, we, we were having kids, and that's a lot of money, and like, we were trying to pay off things, that's a lot of money. And if you guys know us, also in, like, the past six years of our life, we've been moving. So, like, every two or three years, we would sell our house, and sometimes... That, honestly, the first time we sold our house was because we were in a situation where I was like, hey, we need that income in order to move forward. But if we did these things, it kind of worked out to where God blessed us in a big way through that. But we're also, I think, 
moving around this time, too, <laughs> thinking about moving and selling our house and trying to figure out where to live. And so there was a lot of different things. But on the, on the internal side, I just really felt like God taught us what sacrificial giving was. He kind of took, um, the, I think we put thresholds up in our life. We go, we go okay, um, God's great, God's great, God's great. And then we put a threshold up. And we're like, this is how good God is, right? Yeah. And what the capital campaign did for us is it broke through that threshold. Uh, we actually experienced what it really felt like <laughs> to be depending on God month to month on when, on how that, like, where was the money going to come from, and what what opportunities was He going to provide for us to uh, to work and do more in order to to reach what we felt He was calling us to, and He always did. Um, he provided us with a lot of opportunities, a lot of different things that we uh, branched out and doing. We sold things, all that kind of stuff, and so. Um, I think so it sounds like he would come through month to month for you on this kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, in little ways, for sure. And whether it was we found things that we could sacrifice that we didn't sacrifice before, uh, you know, even just little things like, hey, we're just not going to do TV for 18 months. Or we're not going to do this. We're going we're gonna to kind of buckle down and spend less. Like just different ways. Um, it really just kind of redefined uh, those arbitrary walls that we had up, and it kind of blew them wide open. And so it really, the, the reward for us, I think, internally was just more faith like seeing what God can do, experiencing that, so that now you look back and go, oh, yeah, God could do more, even more than what he's done now. And so it's, uh, if you can rem- remind yourself those, preach that to yourself, then you can, you can kind of uh, look at the future and what's coming and always kind of have this open mind of what God can do. Yeah, I love that. Well, what was cool about, just going back to Nehemiah for a second, is that the king not only gave him the, the temple, the temple wood, the, the wood for the wall and for his new house, uh, he also gave him a whole army. So he rolls through the entire empire with an, a sweet personal security detachment. And he shows up, and all of the people, uh, there's Sambalat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite, and the bunch of guys are there. They're not exactly thrilled that there is an official royal presence there for the Jews. In fact, uh, they are angry about it. Why are you helping these guys out? And then when he notices that people aren't, when Nehemiah notices that people aren't exactly thrilled with the situation, he does a little night tour of the wall to kind of see what's going on. And then the next day, he calls all the Jews together. Nobody knows what he's there for. They just know they came with a bunch of wood and a bunch of soldiers. And so nobody's like, what is this going on? What's happening? And so now, verse 17, check this out, of Nehemiah chapter 2. He gets the Jews together. He says, then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. Everyone needs to learn that uh, SAT vocabulary, derision, like great disgrace and shame. All right. And I told them of of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, which I, I just love this. The reason why you bring people up is to tell the testimony of God's goodness. You know, God's always about two things, his glory, our goodness. And so when you hear the story of God through people, it reminds you that, oh, God is all about my good, and I've seen it here, even when it seems to be hard when things aren't exactly easy. Okay, then also the words that the king had spoken to me, and they said, let us rise up and build. So they were motivated, so they strengthened their hands for the good work. Now, what happened immediately after that is you got, but when Samballot the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite uh, the Ammonite servant, and Geshem the Arab heard of it. They jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? You came with the king's horsemen. Apparently the king's horsemen are they're out. The army went back. 
And so now they're like, oh, this is treason. You deserve to die. Now you got Samballot and Tobiah. The reason why I got these two guys uh, extra highlighted, both these guys are related to Jewish people. So, and you don't find this out to chapter 13. These guys are just like enemies of the state. But no, these guys are enemies that you're related to. Anybody ever been there? All right. Enemies you're related to, okay? And so that makes things a little bit trickier. Are we rebelling against the king? Now, I don't know if Nehemiah at this point knows that they're related to the Jews that live there. Uh, so he says this, I replied that the God of heaven will make us prosper and we, his servants, will arise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. Now, I want you to see this. You've got, you've got this kind of context that people are going to build. Nehemiah has to kind of remind the challenges. And Nehemiah challenged God's people to risk defeat and build. So I want to ask uh, Megan and Grayson, how would you challenge anyone to risk defeat and build? Yeah, I first, I wouldn't think of it as defeat or even loss. Um, I think that God, as you were saying, is in the business of his glory and our good. And I think that there's really no amount of risking your finances or risking anything that's going to result in a loss for God or a loss for us. Um, You know, I believe God is good, that he really does yearn to bless us Mm -hmm. and that through our obedience and our faithfulness to him and stepping out that he truly will bless us. And that's not me speaking. um, What is the gospel that I'm thinking of? Platitudinally. (laughs) Like, I'm not saying that you're going to get a new car or whatever. Yeah, like, God is well. going to immediately uh, give prosperity, prosperity gospel. gospel. There you go. I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel, but I'm, I'm simply speaking of just God's character, that he is the business of, of blessing. And um, I think that there is that in store for us. And instead, I would really challenge that person to think about, instead of what you might be um, losing or maybe defeated by, like, what could you potentially gain mm. um, by giving up what you're trying to preserve? I, I love preserving a lot of things, and money is one of those things that I love to kind of preserve and hold on to. And through this last capital campaign, like, I experienced so much intimacy with God and an increase in faith and trust that, like, far outweighed and was worth far more than just the money that we gave. And it's truly an investment that keeps on investing in my soul now and is an investment for eternity. Um, And that money now looks like something very small. At the time, it felt like something really huge. And so I don't even... I would just challenge people to not think of it as a defeat or a loss, but like, what could, what could I gain? What could we gain as a church from this? Yeah, Greg? I agree. <laughs> I thought she answered that really good last night, so I wouldn't even have an answer for this one. No, that's good. good. No, I, I like that. Well, in fact, this is what happens is that they start the rebuilding process. Now, here, what I loved about this is in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, then Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests. Now, in general, when you, do, when you want contracting or construction done, you don't ask the priest. You, you, yeah, I mean, like, I'm sure they're really handy, they, but they are, what, the reality is this guy is the first guy in. Now, here's what's weird, okay? And I love the fact that he's the first guy in. Sam Ballot and Tobiah, the ones that are the enemies of God, are related to the high priest. Awkward moment for everybody, all right? And this is where chapter 13 becomes a moment where you're like, what? That is so... So he's having to build a wall to keep his family out, all right? All right, so like this is, this is awkward and weird because now it is... And now this is where, well, why is the high priest marry off his kids to people who don't believe in 
in God because that's what happens when God's people aren't focused on the covenant community, aren't focused on living out for God. The, even the high priest goes into a place of darkness that he can't pull out from. Now, I love this, the, so, but he, he's doing the best he can, right? He's like, all right, fine, I'm in, I'm in. And he, he starts building the wall. In fact, 43 different clans, sorry, it goes from the sheep gate uh, to the next gate to the next gate, 43 clans pitch in. Uh, you got the high priest, you got goldsmiths, perfume makers, which in general, those guys aren't really great with hammers. And, in, and then, in fact, verse 12 says that one guy brings this whole, all of his daughters out, which in that culture, to put your daughters working in masonry, masonry work was unheard of. Like, it's sort of rare today to go down to the construction site and see some women, you know, throwing around some uh, hammers. But then that was like crazy, but nothing was too low. We, they put the emphasis, like, everybody needs to get involved to accomplish the task. In fact, the, the people of Tekoa, uh, the Tekanites, they built two parts of the wall. They were like on one part here, and then they kind of like, they were really fast and really great. And then they ran around to a second part. But watch this. Look at uh, chapter 3, verse 5. And next then the Tekoites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve the, their Lord. What happened was, is you've got the Tekoite nobles refused to risk difficulty to fulfill God's vision. It was too hard. Like, I don't do, listen, it's hard to get out there. Listen, it's hard to risk. And so I wanted to ask Grace and Megan, like, was there a part one, um, what would you say, like, getting every, the value of, of everybody participating in this capital campaign, whether large, like you're going to give the million dollar gift, or low, where you're going to give the, the, whatever God calls you, small gift. Whatever it is, there's great value in that. Tell me about what there is in the participation of this, whether large or small. Yeah, I, I think uh, participating in a capital campaign is so good for your soul. So if, if you're kind of someone that's, that's out there and going, I don't know if they really even need my money or what I can do, I just don't feel is, is worth it, or you feel maybe like, like it's, you're just, your involvement's just unnecessary, I would say then you're kind, of, you're kind of missing almost the whole point of it. Like God wants to do so much through you, not even what you can give to the church, but uh, it's just good for your soul. And so I think... I think oftentimes we, we get caught up in, in things that aren't, that are just tomorrow, we plan for tomorrow. No, that, that stuff's not bad, but we could be missing what God's calling us to today. And so I, I think um, in order to, uh, to have uh, the, these experiences and for God to, to, to really take you to these places, you have to, you have to depend on them. And what, what, like, sacrificial giving does, like, real genuine sacrificial giving, assessing where you are and, and uh, I don't know, give until it hurts or something, whatever that is for you, uh, like, like, it causes you. There's nothing else you can do other than say, God, I don't know where, where tomorrow's going to, how that's going to work out or, or how certain things are going to work out, but I know that you're going you're gonna to provide opportunities or things for me to be able to do that. Um, I know we say this all the time, or Chris does, Tim Hawk says this before, you know, even, even if you were just to give money and then we take all that money and we burn it in the parking lot, uh, <laughs> it would still be good for your soul, and it would cause you to rely more on Christ and your relationship uh, with Jesus, uh, would, you'd be closer to him because of that, that, that sacrifice. Does that make sense? And mm -hmm. so I just think uh, wherever you are in the spectrum of, of whether you feel like it's necessary for you to participate or not, like God has so much for you and in entering into this. Uh, is something that he has uh, a plan for, if that makes sense. So, 
Yeah, and I would also say, like, you know, God doesn't need our money. It's easy for us to say, well, God doesn't need my money. He has all the power in the world to, to make his will come true. And that is true. But you have the opportunity to be the church. Um, as fellow church members and community members, of, we need you uh, to be the church with us. The church may not be a building, but we are the church, and, and we do need a building. <laughs> and um, I think this is a really cool opportunity to not just grow in your intimacy with God, but to grow in your intimacy with people in the church. Um, this is kind of the one time that you will get to be in, I call it amazing misery as a capital campaign. It's both. But with everybody else, like you don't have to do it alone. Not ev- Everybody else around you isn't just thinking, oh, this is the best thing ever. This is so comfortable. We're so excited to do this. Like everybody is in the same boat as you as far as like, man, this is hard. This is kind of frustrating. We don't know how this is going to work. And you have the unique opportunity to do that w- in community and with each other and spur each other on and support each other. And that would be a shame to, to miss out on that. Man, thank you guys. I appreciate you guys so much. Everyone give it up for Grayson and Megan. Appreciate you guys. I want us to just kind of uh, think about that. And one of the ways that we've been challenging, uh, everyone has stopwatches. And if you didn't get a stopwatch uh, last week, um, they're at Dick's Sporting Goods. Uh, I don't know. Uh, we ran out. So I'm really grateful for all those who grabbed the stopwatch. But what we did uh, is that we took these stakes last week and we took them to our new land. And we went, we drove a stake in the land, and then we prayed over it. And we wrote how many hours we were going to be praying for God to reveal us how we could give the largest gift to fulfill his vision for this church. And so when I went out there and counted how many hours, I counted 875 hours. And that was like 35, 40 people came out that day. 875 hours. I looked, some people were giving like 100 hours of prayer, and I was like, Adrian gave one hour of prayer. And she was like, I didn't know it was like, I thought we were deciding how long we're going to pray for it. Says, I already know you're going to decide, so what's the matter? I said, Adrian, I'll do the 40 for you. Okay, so that's good. So we, we're doing 41 hours of prayer over here. Uh, a lot of weight on this end of the table, just throwing that around. Anyway, uh, and, but, but people are praying. Like, people are going before the Lord and saying, God, will you show us? And we're going to encourage Adrian to go back out and put another stake in the ground. All right, anyway, and so what we're going to say is like, please, would you pray? All I'm asking is that you would pray and, and not do what I'm telling you to do, because who am I? I'm just another filthy human just like you that Jesus saved from the depths of darkness and despair. I mean, I was broken. I was lost, and he saved me. So what, what could I do to forward the kingdom that saved me and gave me the greatest joy I've ever experienced in my entire life? And I want that for you. And you know what's so cool? This is why I love God. Over and over throughout the Bible, I'm right now in my quiet time, and uh, obviously doing Nehemiah, but I'm also doing Exodus because we're you know, professional Christians do a lot of quiet time. Uh, and what happened in my, in my time with Exodus, it's every time you turn around, God's wanting to smite uh, the Israelites, right? And then, and then Moses goes, God, you are so merciful and you're so great. Don't kill them all. And he's like, okay, because you asked, I won't. Like, Wow, his prayer just saved two million people. All right, okay, how about on a smaller scale? You guys remember in Job, Job 31, which I know everyone's favorite verse, like they got this memorized. But Job 31, uh, Job, like God restores Job and his whole family, and then, he, then God has a heart-to-heart with Job's friends that were not so great company when he was in the pit of despair. And he's like, I was going to kill you, but I'm going to tell Job to pray for you, and then I'll forgive you. And why doesn't God just simply go, all right, no, don't worry about it? 
Because he wants Job to activate his faith through prayer so that when he prays, something happens and God doesn't kill them. Okay, how about this? Elijah, 1 Kings 18. There he is. God says, hey, what's going to happen? It's not going to rain for three and a half years, and then you're going to pray, and it's going to rain. Well, why, if, he just, why, if he just tells them, why does he just tell them? No, but he wants Elijah to pray. In fact, there's a scene where Elijah's praying, and his little servant's right next to him. He's like, hey, you see any clouds yet? Nah, no, sir, nothing yet. Um, you think this is really going to work? And he just goes back to praying. And he's like, see any clouds yet? And the guy looks, I think there's one like a teeny cloud. You might have to pray a little bit harder, uh, apparently. And then Elijah just doesn't listen. He just keeps praying. He just keeps praying. And eventually, like, here comes the storm! And then that's when they make a mad dash to tell everyone God has brought the rain. God loves to activate his will, his vision for God's people through our prayers. And that's why the most important thing we can do is pray and obey. And then leave the rest up to God. No, 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 think about that. You pray, obey, and then leave the rest up to God. It changes everything. Now, listen, if you're not a Christian here, I've just said a bunch of nonsense. Like, everything we just talked about is like, what are you talking about? Some imaginary God that's going to answer your wishes. That's crazy talk, which I'd be like, unless it's true that there was God who loved the world so much that he sent his son Jesus from heaven to earth and saw the, just the catastrophe that we've made our lives. And then he died on the cross, and then he rose from the dead. If that didn't happen, then we are nutso. But if the God who is, who speaks from the word he gave us, and he is just on the other side of this thin veil of text, and I have access to him, and when I bring my anxiety and I, my worry and my pain and my heartache, that he goes, I want to take care of you. And we start praying, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Because he takes care of us like a shepherd takes care of a sheep. And remember, it's not a compliment to people. It's more about the character of God because sheep are not exactly smart. They find themselves in trouble all the time. Uh, if they put their head in the water, they could fall in because their hair like, is like a big sponge. You know, like they have all sorts of catastrophe that could happen at any given moment, and they have no clue that's about to happen until the shepherd comes by with his hook and says, okay, come on, I got you. So when a sheep goes in front of the lion for the cause of the shepherd, the shepherd's like, I got you. Because you don't do lions, that's my job. And he steps in front of that sheep and he, the lion goes away. Because he's that big, he's that powerful, and he's that good. And so if you're not a Christian here today, I, I want to challenge you that, that Jesus is wanting to pound through the hardness of your heart that said, I want to do my life my way. I like being in control. Everything I have right now is, it may not be perfect, but at least it's not that bad. It's not that bad. I can at least control what I've got. And Jesus wants to go, I got something far more, but it's going to cost you everything. Because when you make him Lord, you lose control. And for a lot of us, that brings more anxiety. But that's the greatest joy, is trusting your king. So if you're not a Christian, my hope is that you put your full trust in him. And if you are a Christian, and listen, anxiety comes and we're reviving the stones, and it gets scary. And the big question we're asking is, will you risk to revive the stones? 
Will you risk it? When, when the fear comes, will you risk? And one of the ways that we remind ourselves what Jesus did for us is we take the Lord's Supper. Do you guys remember this? You guys can pull out, uh, there's a little cup around you and a little wafer thingy. I like to use, eventually we'll get back to everybody using the same piece of bread when we're not so germaphobic. All right, uh, remember when Jesus went to uh, the cross. Before, that night before, he took bread, he gave it to his disciples, he broke it. He said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In other words, your soul feeds on Jesus like your stomach feeds on bread. You need him. I have a friend of mine right now in New Hampshire who doesn't have a church, and he came to faith in Christ, and I just, we haven't talked in 20 years, and he told me about the goodness of God, and he just, he feels like, oh, you're feeling that thing inside your soul, and you have nobody to share it with, and I could just feel the tears well up on the other side, and I'm saying, I want, I need the Christian community. And he hasn't even, there's no church for him to go to. And so my heart is that we remember that we need him. And so that's why we take this, because Jesus said, take and eat. This is my body given for you. So I want you to do that right now. And that same night, Jesus took the cup. He said, this is my blood shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. His blood forgives my sin. My hope is in what he did for me. And that's why I can risk today because I have his blood flowing through my soul. I want us to pray and ask God to move in a unique way this morning on your hearts as you seek to ask God what you might risk. As we know, there is no actual risk because God is in control of everything. He's sovereign. Do you know God's sovereign? He knows already what you're going to give. He already knows what's going to happen uh, to your kids, to your grandchildren, to your grandchildren's grandchildren. He already knows the whole story. He has the whole thing written in his book. Nothing is a risk for God. <laughs> he just likes to challenge us to believe him, to see our invisible friend work so that those who think he's imaginary might go, huh, that's interesting. Tell me more. Tell me more about this God who is and how he's changed your life. So as we uh, go to a time of prayer, I want us to seek our king and ask him to reveal to us how we might, in the world's eyes, risk to revive the stones that were once rubble that he's going to restore to make an embassy for our church to go love God, love people, make disciples so that every man, woman, and child in the greater Austin area might have repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel from the lips of someone associated with our church. That's my dream. Would you pray with me? Father, I, I know that you're doing something really unique and really powerful. And so God, I, I pray and I ask and I'm, I'm begging you, Father, that there would be something really unique going on this morning. That in the goodness of who you are, you would show us that our risk is um, no risk for you. That our, you know the whole thing, how it's all going to go, but we get to participate in activating your will through acts of faith, just like Moses in throwing in a branch into bitter water made it sweet. 
Just like Moses sticking a staff into the Red Sea made it split. Those acts in themselves had no power. But because it was an act of faith, it saved souls. And so God, I pray that in the same way that as we encounter you over this 40 days of prayer, over this time of committing time to stake in the ground that we are going to commit to prayer, to hear, pray, and obey you, Jesus. Speak to us. Empower us. Give us a whole lot of grace and a whole lot of mercy to move the kingdom of God forward and advance. We love you, Jesus. It's all for your glory. And everybody said, amen. For a moment, what it would look like if you were to risk for Jesus in your own life, at work, in your family, with the people you really love and care about, and you took a leap of faith. Imagine what happened in the way that you loved one another, in the way that we treated one another, in the way that we served one another, in the way that we pushed the back against the darkness with one another. It would change you. It would change your family. It would change the future generations that you were a person who took great risks, not for your own glory, but for his. It would change everything. It would change that scene. Would you receive the benediction? Go. Go and be a people who risk for the reward that God has for you. Go and be a people who risk even when it's hard and you might even suffer loss. Go and be a people who lean and push back against the darkness so that God may be glorified and that you would have an awesome week of worship. You are sent.